Hello and welcome to the FT Advisor podcast, the weekly podcast series brought to you by FT Advisor. Each week we pick a topic to discuss and this week we'll be talking about one that is quite close to my heart, financial education. I recently conducted a poll on my Twitter asking financial advisors what their views were on financial education in schools and whether it should be a collective effort by the advice and financial services industry or whether the onus should be on schools and the government. More than half the advisors said schools need to do more, around 32% said advisors need to help more, and some 13% said it's not an advisor's problem. The advice gap is growing and tackling it could not be more important than it is now. In today's podcast, we'll be talking about the advice gap, how financial education can help, and who is ultimately responsible. I'm Sonia Rach, Deputy News Editor at FT Advisor, and joining me today are Mina Karshala, Board Trustee at Young Enterprise, Jade Rose, Wealth Planner at Kingswood Group, and Daniel Williams, IFA at Morgan Williams & Co, and the current PFS Education Champion of the Year. Hi all, thank you for joining me today. Hello. Hey. Good morning. So to begin, perhaps it'd be helpful to know where we are with the advice gap from an advisor's perspective. Jade, given your role um, as a wealth planner, what do you kind of think about the advice gap and and how sort of where we are right now? Yeah, so obviously today we're talking about the financial literacy gap from childhood and from youth, but we see that pan out kind of all ends of the spectrum. So women are more likely to retire with a pension plus just one-fifth the size of their male counterparts. And when you look at things like that, it stems from somewhere. So yeah, there really is a huge financial literacy gap. And how do you think kind of financial education can help with that or advisors specifically? It's an interesting one because obviously as financial advisors we have the knowledge but to teach is a completely different skill set and I don't think the onus is solely on the financial services industry to teach. I think what's missing is the collaboration piece between schools, governments and the financial services industry. Sure, yeah. And and I think that ties in quite close with your role, Mina, in terms yeah. of, you know, as an advocate for kind of financial education itself, how do you think financial education can impact the advice gap and what kind of collaboration can be done there and, and what sort of needs to be done? Yeah, so I think in terms of the education piece, I, th- I think it's the opportunity for pupils to gain that knowledge that they don't ordinarily get maybe from the curriculum it's about learning the skills that they that they might need to to make good decisions and in terms of what the financial sectors can do i think it's what what jade said it's it's that collaborative piece i think there is lots already happening everyone is working in little silos though but coming together could make a bigger impact sure and coming to you daniel i mean you're on both sides here both kind of as an advisor and an educator so going back to my poll who do you kind of think is ultimately responsible for this what do you think financial services can do to help yeah well actually i was uh, one of the individuals that answered your poll and mm-hmm. um I, I i sat uh, firmly in the middle that yes schools have to do more you know it, it has to be joined up thinking i think is financial you know, in, individuals in the financial services space, uh, we have a skill set which you know we we should be trying to to give the next generation some you know basic financial education. But we can't do it ourselves, as the the other panelists said. Uh, we're not educators, we're not teachers, but we can and we should be playing an active role in it. It just needs to be more joined up. Sure, and and in your role, kind of as an educator, what sort of things are you? 
kind of doing or, or seeing that works or, or even doesn't work? Yeah, I think the difficulty is, um, I mean, it, the initiative that I'm part of, um, you know, we, we by the end of this year, we'll have delivered 700 sessions to about 25,000 different students across the, the UK. The problem is that's only just scratching the surface. And whilst all of the education uh, initiative pieces, all of the presentations and workshops are signed off by Young Money to try to get a consistency um, of message that goes across. We were not teachers. I'm sure that there will be some people that deliver them a lot better than others. And I'm sure that there'll be some students that take away different things. The difficulty is that schools control what they wish us to deliver. It's not a case of we go in and we say, OK, this is a full course from start to finish. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a case of them saying, OK, we think our students are particularly weak with, I don't know, uh, being able to spot financial crime or we haven't, you know, we need to do some work with budgeting. I think the the problem is there's nothing in the curriculum that says, okay, from start to finish, we need to bring these young individuals from a point where, you know, really they're, they're not in a position to be able to make consistently good or smart financial decisions to a point where they go out into the world and, and have those, those skills and, and the tools to be able to do so. Sure, yeah, no, I think that a lot of that kind of makes sense and it, it might resonate with, with you, Mina. Mm. I mean, what are your sort of views kind of, coming into that and, and what schools can be doing in terms of increasing the financial literacy or anything else? Yeah, so I think I think schools are trying to do as much as they can with the, the time that they have. As you know, teachers can be very time poor. They work very hard, often quite more than, than the hours that, that they're allocated in the schools. But, but they are bound by curriculum and that time element. So, and I know a lot of this is already happening in schools, but it's bringing the financial... I guess, literacy piece into the current curriculum. So um, I know some schools, for example, in science, if they're teaching things about energy, for example, in, in physics, they're bringing in things about energy tariffs. So it's learning about how to manage your finances from, from that side of things. But I think overall, it's it's making sure pupils are informed about the choices that they're going to make, whether it's I don't know, as, as small as breaking, as, as choosing to breaking into a 20 to buy a piece of gum mm. or whether it's a, as big as a car purchase. It's people's having the, the, the right mindset, which can only come from the education to, to make those wise decisions. But overall, I think having those like the role models. So it's not necessarily about financial advisors, for example, teaching the, the pupils because, you know, they, they might not have that teaching skill set. But quite often pupils might ask, well, miss, when am I going to use that in real life? And I think it's it's quite easy for a teacher to say, well, this is where theoretically you might do it. But as a pupil, you're going to listen so much more to someone who's been in that position mm -hmm. and someone who comes from that industry. So having role models from various industries within the financial sector going into schools and, and talking about it, I think, brings it to life and can inspire pupils to, I guess, pay more attention to this element which is fresh and new which isn't part of the curriculum yeah definitely because I think with with sort of all aspects of the curriculum even when you kind of are at school there's always things that you think am I ever going to use this or is this yeah. ever going to help me so financial education is obviously something that will ultimately help people and you can see sort of the knock-on impact when it doesn't so so yeah I, I think I agree um Jade in terms of kind of obviously the advisor perspective on this I mean is there anything that you think um, advisors can do other than sort of going into schools and, and, and maybe just being the role model? But aside from that, is there any kind of avenues that they should be looking at? 
Well, I think it's really interesting to see that they're not financial advisors, but they're financial, I guess, role models, to use your term, on social media, on TikTok and things like that. But the problem we have is, um, as I'm sure many people know, financial advice or the financial services industry is highly regulated, Mm -hmm. which limits what you can say on social media. And so for that reason, many regulated advisors on on TikTok are on giving uh, guidance, of course, not advice. So we're left with role models who are self-taught personal finance gurus, but have no accountability. And so, yes, I agree we need the role models, but it's how do we get the right role models? How do we make sure those role models are held accountable and are actually accurate with, with what they're teaching children? And just to piggyback on your comment earlier about the role models and teachers and kind of contextualizing financial advice, from my experience in the industry, a lot of adults haven't had a financial education as well. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure many teachers are included in that category. Um, and that's not a single out teachers, by the way. I work with people all the way from first career clients all the way through to CEOs of multinational corporates. And there really isn't a thread between who has had a financial education and who hasn't. It really is potluck and perhaps, you know, if, if you were lucky enough to have parents who passed on that information. So it's also quite an ask to expect teachers to be able to deliver a topic that they may know nothing about themselves. And yes, of course, you can learn finance from books and learn the, the, the technical elements of it. But what I've found is financial literacy is very emotive. It's quite triggering for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. People have had negative circumstances or parents have had negative circumstances. And so getting someone to talk about that is actually quite the challenge. And I think that's the piece for me that is the biggest hurdle in financial education and financial literacy. It's removing the emotion from it, which Mm -hmm. all of us carry to a certain degree. Yeah, of course. And, And money is emotional. Like It's a known fact, isn't it? It's something... A lot of in a lot of cultures it's sort of a taboo conversation to be having so then you're not passed on that knowledge even if you sort of have access to it um and i think you know it's something i feel quite passionate about because i felt like i didn't know that information until i sort of started joining the financial service industry became a journalist in it and i was like this is information you know i didn't have access to until i happened to fall into the profession and I know there's a lot of people in, in my kind of group or network that wouldn't have access to it. So I agree that it's adults from kind of all aspects of life. But it, it, it's kind of the thing that concerns me, I guess, is the, is the amount on social media that is already available that people are using as sort of, you know, advice as such, even though it is not even regulated and it's not kind of guided. So would you say, I guess, it's sort of the regulator that needs to kind of, I guess, push forward a bit quicker on the advice guidance boundary to allow advisors to have a bit more of a role to help these you know younger people or even just just people to help tackle the advice gap yeah absolutely I think you know just as we're seeing with with crypto and now there's legislation coming in to to deal with that space Mm -hmm. the same needs to be done for social media it can take anywhere between you know five days and two weeks to get a compliance sign off for one social media post at which point the information is probably outdated and everyone slept and moved on. But I think also the onus is on the government and schools. I'm bringing that uh, curriculum piece back in because, like uh, the other guest said, without a curriculum, without being able to shape what that looks like, the advice is fragmented and it doesn't give the full picture. Yeah. And Daniel, I guess kind of what's your sort of input here in terms of, obviously there is a lot on social media that 
you know, is making the situation a little bit worse. But what can like advisors do? And I guess how does your role with the kind of PFS help with that? Yeah, so I'll, I'll take it back a, a step further, if that's okay, and just just uh, refer back to uh, the other panelists' comments about teachers. The amount of sessions that I deliver in schools, and you know, we're not talking just state schools or just private schools. It's right across the spectrum where teachers come to me afterwards and say, "I really wish I'd learnt that," uh, you know, the the student's age. And a lot of the time, they actually come up and say, "Okay, well, actually, I was going to mark some books in the back of the classroom while she delivered the session, but I've been sat listening because actually I've learnt a lot today." So I think the the comments about literacy across financial literacy across um yeah, age and social demographics you know is is completely is you know is com- completely right in terms of social media it is a it's an area that i have you know written to to my mp about and and it's it's quite scary in some respects because the amount of misinformation that's out there on social media by people who have been self-taught and maybe it's uh, genuine mistakes and just lack of understanding. But the the problem is we have people who are saying they are learning from these individuals where actually what they're learning is fundamentally wrong, not because, you know, all of the information is is incorrect. It's just that they're missing some really important points. So we see it, people coming into the office saying, okay, so I'm thinking about investing in, in property. But, you know, the the individual on on social media that they'd seen the 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 video of they'd forgotten about the kind of um surplus stamp duty when earning separate second property kind of etc it is a a real problem because there isn't the consistency without regulation there's not the consistency the difficulty is it's so hard to regulate that's something that is so fast moving mm-hmm. um like when we talk about cryptocurrency regulations could have you know it would have been a lot of people would have saved a lot of of money and uh, granted some people have made a lot of money on on you know cryptocurrency but um, a lot of people have lost a lot of money and if exchanges and various things have been regulated uh, earlier then maybe we would have been in a in a better position i think where the the pfs initiative comes uh, in into its own we are financial professionals. Uh, we we go into the classroom and say, look, we're not teachers. What we want to do is give you an, an kind of an introduction to these different aspects. So one of my passions is is kind of fighting financial crime. So one of the sessions that I always put my name forward to to deliver is one which is is effectively trying to. Uh, give students an understanding of, of of scams and financial crime and how they're going to come across it. Now, I don't think that necessarily a teacher in the classroom who isn't in our industry is going to be able to talk about the real world aspects of that. I talk about um, some of my clients who have been involved in, you know, they, they've been victims of, of scams or, or had some near misses and talk about those real world aspects and experiences. And yeah, I genuinely don't think you know, you, you can you can't get all that from the the textbook. So even if it becomes part of the the main curriculum, I think there's still a a you know a role for not just advisors but financial professionals throughout the industry to play in in raising issues and 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 trying to give students that that real world experience. Yeah, no, I think that that kind of all um, summarizes, I guess, some of the the kind of big issues at the moment in the industry, and and scams is obviously one of them. Something the regulator is is kind of 
pressing down on almost. I, I'm not sure, I guess, Mina, if, if there is anything you think from your perspective at um, Young Enterprise, is there any action that they're taking in terms of trying to tackle some of these things and, and kind of their role in this space generally? So obviously we champion financial education in, in, a, in a big way and we, we go into schools and we talk about these things and the, the idea of making people's aware of the scams out there is that first step because you know you don't know what you don't know mm-hmm. and as as a as a young as a young person if you see something you think oh this will be great particularly in this day where you've got the cost of living crisis and the spotlight on money is you know so, so big young people if they see something that oh this will be great this 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 might make me a little bit of money mm-hmm. it's what we're trying to do is making sure that they spot the difference between something that is real and something that isn't real and that's where i guess the the broader term financial education comes into this so you know it, it's about three things the knowledge so even if it's as simple as knowing certain terminology around finance then the skill it's it's applying that so applied learning is something that we are we are heavily championing so it's about what can you do in your day-to-day in school which can be applied into real life and that that comes back to what Daniel said so so that's that's one of the ways that we're doing this by championing applied learning and actually on a small tangent there so I I did the young enterprise program myself so I'm, I'm an alum and it made such a big difference to the I guess the life decisions that, that I made and because I did one of the young enterprise programs I was aware of certain parts of finance that I just wouldn't have had exposure to otherwise mm-hmm. and th- this made a difference from I guess the age of I think it must have been 20 when I when I did it to what I did going forward and so that's I guess one of the biggest things that we're doing that bringing applied learning in, into schools and finally I guess I just wanted to touch on the idea that financial education changes your attitude towards money and attitude towards how you might view like an, an easy way to 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 wit to get money or to win money you know and it, it, it's that piece that that we're trying to to work on and the applied learning and the breaking down of terminology I think helps do that sure yeah and I think it's one of those things isn't it you know if something's if coming back to kind of the scams point if something feels too good to be true it probably is and it yeah. is something that I guess when you're in a situation like the cost of living crisis where you're really struggling you you, you do want to believe that it's true so yeah. the scams can happen to kind of the best of us I think with or without financial education but it definitely helps I think if I just kind of finally I, I guess to round up, it would be good to understand, um, I guess, one thing that you think would be a key change that needs to be made, either by the industry, by the government, by schools, whoever it is, to sort of tackle this advice gap and, and, and help with financial education. So, so Jade, maybe you want to go first and, yeah, and go around sure. the room. So one thing we haven't touched on is the role that companies play. Um, I guess we're talking more about the financial education of adults now. And so something that myself and Kingswood are doing is working with HR uh, of various companies because really financial wellness is, you know, it comes under, for me, it comes under the self-care category. You know, financial health, physical health and mental health is really the the holy trifecta uh, of wellness. And so we have to remember that financial services, it's a private sector industry. Um, Like Daniel said, we're not educators, we're not there to teach, although we are open and willing to be used for our skill set. What we found is if we work with HR of companies, we're able to offer financial guidance, um, which could lead on to advice if it's appropriate, um, which reduces the barrier to entry for employees who either may not have the means for financial advice, may not have the need for financial advice, 
or just may not know that they need it or yeah. where to go. And we do that by offering drop-in surgeries. It's really low pressure. It's just a quick 10 minutes if people have questions on terminology or they've got pensions that they didn't know about and they don't know what to do with them. And so that's another way of, you know, that collaboration piece where mm-hmm. we can get advice to people who may not otherwise seek it out. Sure, yeah. And, and Daniel, did what would be kind of your, your change? So from my perspective, the biggest problem is kind of the fragmentation of kind of the the initiatives. There are so many fantastic initiatives across the country trying to, you know, trying to educate the next generation and in, in to be able to, you know, make, make those consistently good decisions. But I think we need some more joined up thinking, which has to come at a, at a policy level. I mean, financial educators, they're trying to you know, we've spoken today about, you know, using social media and, and TikTok and, and various other outlets. You know, we've just launched as the kind of the PFS, my personal finance skills initiative, just launched a Duke of Edinburgh award. So working with that side of things to give students a different avenue to, to be able to expose themselves to financial education as well as the, the classroom. But the problem is there are so many different outlets and and because there is no policy you know level uh, it's not it's not coming from the top it's coming from the bottom so i think we need to all be engaging with with mps and and trying to get them to introduce something from the top that we can support and work with right through the industry sure and last but not least mina what, what would be your change yeah so i've got a couple of things so the first one i would say just speaking from personal experience, the the applied learning piece. So at Young Enterprise, obviously, we've got a whole menu of, of programmes that we run in school which provide pupils with that applied learning uh, so that they can go on to make real-life decisions, good decisions after after they, they finish school using the experience that they've had through the Young Enterprise programmes. And it's organisations, you know, being aware that this exists and you know, funding for, for, for charities such as Young Enterprise but also, I like what Daniel said about the, the policy. So recently, Rishi Sunak mentioned that, you know, the idea of making maths compulsory for, for everyone up to the age of 18. I think that's a fantastic idea. We really support that. But for that maths to not just be just pure maths, for, mm. it, for it to be very applicable and for, for it to be that, you know, how can I use this in real life? And I think that's where, you know, where all of these other organisations are working in little silos and there is so much out there. Everyone is trying to make a difference so much, but I think that is a real gap where everyone can come in Mm -hmm. and collaborate and pull together for that extra bit of maths that everyone's going to hopefully do um, with with this bid from from Rishi Sunak and that might be the way to to bring everyone into it and collaborate. Yeah definitely I mean I think yeah it's it's making sure that they kind of talk about interest rates inflation that kind of maths element rather than trigonometry and and stuff like that which I I, I guess helps you to some extent but I'm not sure when you can apply it to real life so yeah it's uh it's definitely one that I think um is is quite interesting and uh, a topic that I don't think we'll we're hearing the end of anytime soon. So <laughs> that's kind of all we've got time for today. So I just want to say thank you to you all um, for for kind of waving the flag for financial education and coming on to discuss such an important topic. So thank you, um, and of course to those of you who are listening, join us next week as we discuss another hot topic in the financial services industry.